lights. It's seven Friday night. We are back for the final in-season episode of Seven Friday Night. I'm Sports Stars Magazine editor Chase Bryson, and I'm joined, as always, by my dependable co-host Benitos, who, if he's football fatigued at this point, he's still not showing it. Ben, welcome, and how are you this week? I am well. Hello, fine listeners of Podcast Land. It all comes down to this. The final week. The final countdown. <laughs> It's the final countdown. Yeah, big week. Big week. <laughs> uh, before we dive into this episode, uh, I feel like a time to announce some housekeeping items for the show. We will have a full show next week, breaking down the state bowl game results, final NorCal rankings, and potentially chatting with a few state champion coaches or players. That will not, however, be our season finale. We will drop a, a fun outtakes video at some point over the holidays, and then our season finale will take place in mid-January after Sports Stars has chosen and selected our all-NorCal team. That season finale will also be a fan participation episode, so keep your eye on our Twitter accounts for how you can play a part. Now, let's dive into this week, and let me just say I have extremely high hopes for this episode simply by observing Ben on my computer screen right now. The Viking Horns. Once a fixture on our quasi-successful weekly video series of the late 2000s, one that may have started Ben and myself, they have returned. Ben, the Viking Horns, they're back. So I will admit this, this wasn't my idea. <laughs> but, but once you mentioned bringing a visual prop to an audio-centric platform, <laughs> that kind of insanity fit my profile perfectly. If we were ever going to bring them back, this is the week because these things may or may not have made a trip or two down Interstate 5 in search of state football shenanigans. They also may or may not have even overlooked the Central Valley from the I-5 Vista Point in Gustine, California. Sorry again for ditching you, Joe Carl Fitzgerald. Well, alas, you, me, and, and the Horns will not be hitting the open road on the way to the OC this weekend. Instead, we have plans to watch Friday night's games on TV, then cover a few of the lower division bowls here in NorCal on Saturday night. And per our routine, let's start a little with some thoughts on the teams that we saw last week. You covered a heck of a game Friday night between Marin Catholic and Escalon before seeing a very good McClyman squad and performance on Saturday. What were a few of your takeaways from those contests? Yeah, we will we will be tuned in indeed this weekend. But uh, like you said, we'll go backwards first, and we we should rejoice the two of us. We managed to each survive a two game week, something we haven't had to do in quite a while. Um, I will indeed get us started on uh, recapping the weekend. Uh, Marin Catholic and Escalon at San Rafael High School. First things first, parking was a little lighter than usual because there's a Christmas tree lot set up in the parking lot right in front of the stadium at San Rafael High. Never fear, though, I won't go all Scrooge on you. I'm pro-Christmas tree. So I persevered and found some street parking. Uh, once I parked and got in the building, what ensued, what I found, was just a really, really fun game of high school football. Marin Catholic took the lead into halftime, extended it in the third quarter, and Escalon came firing right back to get within a score in the final minutes of the game. 
Unfortunately for the Cougs, pressure on the quarterback forced a tough throw, and senior Charlie Allen made the game-clinching interception to send Marin Catholic to another state bowl game. A few notes from the game. First, Michael Ingracia threw his first two interceptions of the season. The first was a crazy good catch by Escalon's Logan Anderson in the corner of the end zone that we managed to get on video, uh, defying the odds, which was great. Uh, but I still walked away without question that he was the best player on the field Friday night. He throws, he runs, he does everything from Rune Catholic. And after the game, Coach Mazimoyed said, he is the team's toughest player. And you don't often hear that about a quarterback. On the flip side, Escalon played its guts out. Your guy, Riker Peters, played well on both sides of the ball. But I was especially impressed with receiver DB Owen Nash, who showed real big playability and I thought was a difference maker. Last note from this game, when we think of big-time high school football, this is what it looks like. Simply put, this is what it is. Marin Catholic fans were out in force. Escalon brought damn near the whole city to San Rafael. It, it was just really fun. So props to both schools. I was so happy to be part of it. Um, I don't know why you like Owen Nash. Because you were once a fan of Nash Bridges. Nash Bridges had a TV movie that aired about two weeks ago. Not as good as the original <laughs> show, but I was happy to have it back in my life. All right. Um, like you said, Saturday, I ventured, I got a chance to venture to one of my favorite spots to watch a game, McClyman's in Oakland. Uh, the Warriors scored a 40 to 21 win over Camp Lindo to move to the 3A state title game. And when you and I talked after the game, I told you right up front that if I had seen Mac like you had early in the year, I would have been all over the Warriors in this one because you were 100% correct in your analysis. This was a matchup problem for Campo. McClymans has size up front, more speed than you could ever want at the skill positions, and a senior quarterback in Drayan Paul who ties it all together. He didn't even really need to do much Saturday night because JV on Thomas ran for over 230 yards. And as I put it in a tweet, he hit that turbo button a couple times and just was never seen again. Um, my major note from this game, aside from, again, both fan bases making it a really fun atmosphere, is that I feel like we take for granted what Mac does year after year after year. This is their fifth consecutive trip to a CIF bowl game, and head coach Michael Peters made a really great point after the game that Mac might very well be the only school in California that has made it to a bowl game in four different divisions. That's consistency any program not named De La Salle only dreams about. And I think Coach Peters and his assistants deserve a ton of credit for the work they do each and every year. So that's my experience from last weekend. You got a chance to see a game that some have called historic. And then uh, another game that was featured two really good teams as well. Tell us what you saw at De La Salle Folsom and at Manteca against Wilcox. Well, yeah, I was even one of the people who might have deemed it historic. So uh, perhaps writing the good vibes of being guests on last week's episode, Tyler and Josh Remain were both catalysts in a historic Folsom win over De La Salle on Friday. Perhaps our listeners have heard. The Bulldogs erased a 14-0 first quarter deficit and then stopped a two-point conversion with 144 remaining to preserve a 28-27 win. I thought the Folsom defense was excellent, and we'll hear more about them later from guest Mark Tennis. And Tyler Tremain was just unflappable at quarterback, made all the right decisions, Big plays with his legs, big plays with his arm, and he was he was the man. He, he was QB1 to the QB1. fullest. QB1. Yep. They were the better team that night. 
and I had no issue making them number one in our rankings this week. De La Salle just didn't play its best game. And honestly, you can't have a true rivalry until each team has won a game. And I think this is a rivalry now. These teams are scheduled to face each other next season, and that will be must-see football. So I'm looking forward to that. On Saturday, I saw Wilcox defeat Manteca 35-21 and came away with two clear impressions. One, Wilcox is a program that is going to continue to succeed year in and year out in the Central Coast section because of a really strong leader in Coach Paul Rosa. I wanted to play a quick clip of Rosa talking Saturday night about what makes this group special and how it compares to a State Bowl winning team of 2018. When do you think this team believed it was going to pull something like this off? You know, I, to be honest with you, I, it was just been game by game. I never thought, you know, I just, it just kind of, when you get in the grind of a season, you just go week by week and, and football, you're preparing for that one team. You're just in, immersed in that team and you don't really think ahead too much. What makes this group special? They're really tight. They grew up together. They're, they're, they pull for each other. They don't care who's, who makes the play as long as somebody makes it. Unselfish group, super unselfish group. How are they different from your 2018 team? I would say... They're very similar. It's yeah. Same kind of thing. This neighborhood is tight when it comes to football, and uh, that goes a long way, you know. So, yeah, every time I walk the Chargers sideline, I come away impressed with their discipline and their detail. Oh, and Luther K. Glenn is an all-caliber, all-NorCal all caliber talent running back for Wilcox. And speaking of all-NorCal caliber talent at running back, clear impression number two, Thor is the real deal. Blake Nicholson ripped off 340-plus yards rushing and all three Buffalo scores. He finishes his junior season with 288 points, which isn't too shabby. So that brings us to this week, and we'll have 14 games, two on Friday, then 12 more on Saturday. As you covered these games the, this past week, Ben, and have watched the system play out, what are your thoughts on the CIF Bowl system as it's currently constructed? Because I know you've been fighting that a little bit as the season has gotten closer to this point. So. You're right. I have. And uh, we'll get into the bowl breakdown specifically in a bit, especially with Mark Dennis, as you alluded to. Uh, but point number one to say is I maintain my line of thinking from last weekend. These last two weeks, the NorCal game and then the state games this week are to me less about who wins and loses and more about watching really good teams and really good players match up against one another. It does feel a little like we give a ton of teams a chance to continue playing. I mean, it didn't used to be this way. It's this way now. We'll hear kind of some of the reasoning that went into that when they made the change from Mark when he when we talked to him a little later. And I get the reasons for that. Absolutely, I do. But I'm going to maybe flip the script a little on my usual shtick here and, and, and be a little bit more positive because <laughs> it, it gave me a chance to see a team like Escalon last week in a really competitive matchup when maybe that wouldn't have happened. Otherwise there are great stories to be found everywhere this weekend from Vanden in Fairfield to San Marin in Novato Wilcox going South and getting to be a part of that experience to Salesian and Richmond continuing their legacy of excellence under head coach, Chad Nightingale. I mean, I could be down on the system and Lord knows I'll get back to that at some point, but damned if I'm not excited just to get another week to watch some really great teams and athletes do their thing. That's the bottom line for me. Yeah, I really like that they have these lower division games up here uh, this weekend. I think that's 
I think it's cool to have that option for every NorCal football fan that can't take the time to get to drive down to Southern California. They still get to see some some really quality, like you said, some really quality football teams face off against each other. And in that way, they're just, I mean, we're at this point where it's diluted down enough where it's not really a state championship game, but it does fit the, it does fit the description of a bowl game. You know, all, all, all those college bowls, they're not for any major championship. They're just two really good teams facing off, being showcased, getting a little moment in the sun, which is what a lot of these teams deserve. You know, they won their section. They get to move on a little bit. They get to play good teams and have a chance to hold an extra piece of hardware at the end of the night. So can't really get too down on it. I think this is um, this brings to mind and, and you and I have spent our share of time traveling South to watch the big boys play. I am particularly excited about watching these lower divisions and lower being relative, of course, this weekend, because that's what it's the reason that you run sports stars magazine. It's the reason that I like writing for it. These teams deserve to have their stories told too. San Marin, I, you know, we'll, we'll get into this. I may go to San Marin on Saturday and you may go to Vanden. When would we ever get the chance or think about going to schools like that to tell these cool stories in the biggest moment of their high school season if these opportunities weren't provided by this current format? So uh, it's... It's exciting from a storytelling perspective, and I know that whoever lines up on a field in Northern California this weekend will be no less excited than someone lining up on the field at Saddleback College this weekend. Absolutely. So like we have already kind of mentioned to already, we, we did invite Cal High Sports co-founder and editor Mark Tennis onto the program this week because when it's CIF Bowl Week, Mark is the guy you want to talk to. No one person has a better pulse on football statewide than he does. So let's listen in as he gives us his take on a variety of things, including not only the bowl system and where it's, uh, where it's been now on its 15th anniversary from the, first, uh, from the first playings of those games and to where it might be going. And then we'll also, we also have him talking about the matchup he's most excited about at Saddleback College, because that's where he'll be this weekend, and what NorCal team has the best shot at bringing home hardware, and much more. So let's take a listen now to our conversation, the second this season on 7 Friday Night with Mark Tennis. Well, with the state bowl games upon us and one more week of football here in the state of California, we thought it was time to uh, welcome back in a guest of ours from earlier in the season and possibly the most informed person in the whole state of California when it comes to what we will see this week, uh, Mark Tennis of CalHighSports.com, the guy that we go to when we have questions. So uh, to answer all those questions, Mark, welcome in. Hi, guys. How you doing? We're good. Excited, but also bummed that it's coming to an end. Yep. It'll be back around before you know it in the summer. (laughs) Just not in the spring. No, no more spring football. No more spring football. No, not at all. (laughs) When do you, uh, when do you drive down this week? I'm going to go Thursday. Uh, My Orange County correspondent, uh, Chuck Nan, invited me to stay at their place and I'm going to take them up on it. They live about four or five miles away from the stadium at Saddleback. So it seemed like too good of an offer to pass up. And I'm going to do you know, probably two games on Saturday, one on Friday and, um, you know, get caught up with people who haven't seen for a couple of years. So that'll be kind of nice. 
Yeah, it's crazy. It's been two full years since we've had these. Yeah, very true. So Chase and I have talked about this a lot, actually. Uh, it, it may be two full years for you guys, but for me, it's been a lot longer. Yeah. And the, la <laughs> the last time I covered football for a full season, we had five bowl games and we played them all in one place over two days. Yeah. <laughs> um, these days, I, I've said this a couple times on this podcast, I feel a little bit lost with A's and double A's, multiple right. sites, all sorts of bowl games. It's the 15th anniversary and the 14th year of playing these uh, games in the modern CIF bowl model. So my first question for you is first kind of to get your take on how it's evolved over the years, how we got here and what you think about it in its current state as a whole. And do you think we'll continue to see more changes as time goes on? Um, the only changes that we'll see as time goes on are probably going to be at the section level and not at the state level. Because you have to remember how this evolved. It started off with three divisions um, in 2006. Uh, open divisions were added in 2008. Um, and then everybody got games. That was in 2015. This all sort of evolved by how the, how the games were played, how the games were selected. There was, there was a couple famous instances where teams really felt robbed that they weren't selected to play. In the, in, in the games when, when they were in the selection process. Um, you know, Wasco, California went nuts when they weren't picked. Um, th that was one of the main ones. Um, and and the, the, the response from the CIF commissioners was, was mainly, let's come up with a format where we don't have to leave anybody out. Just let everybody have a game. They win a section title, they're eligible. They have to win a section title. Then there were open divisions and all these different sections where runner-ups were going for a few years. And they said, well, we're not going to do that anymore. So you have to be a section champion. Um, so it, it sort of evolved from, you know, from the very beginning of just three divisions to everybody who's a section champion gets an extra game. And if you go back to the very, very beginning of when the this whole format began in 2000 like five or even before that when Pete Sacco wrote wrote things down on a napkin because <laughs> Pete Sacco really is the driving force for these games the former Sac Joaquin section commissioner you really have to credit him with a lot of where this has gone um, but um, one of the very first things that, that he realized and that he's explained many times is to get the proposal passed the first time you're going to have to have a, a, you know, the sections are going to have to buy into it. And the way to buy them into it was to, was to try to get as many section champions in there as possible. And I think that's sort of been way back when um, part of, part of why we got the proposals passed in the, in the first place. Um, so the changes that you see now are, are mainly at the section levels of who gets to go from each section, not so much the state. Uh, the state for the last uh, five or six years has had a policy where they're going to have, you know, teams on the north side of the board and south side of the board, and they're going to seed them one all the way to the bottom. And it's pretty easy to pick the teams at the top and the bottom. In the middle, it gets kind of convoluted and confusing at who's, you know, 3AA versus 4AA and 4A and 3A and all that. Um, it gets convoluted and, and can be confusing on who gets picked in those divisions. Um, but the, the changes really come at the section level. Like this year, the biggest changes you had Pittsburgh 
uh, being added from the North Coast section, you know, getting a way to have their second best team in there. And then that greatly impacted the board because once Pitt comes in, everybody else drops down. Um, and then in the Southern, Southern California, the Southern section had a new uh, playoff format with 14 divisions and everything was done by competitive equity and computer rankings. And um, they're, they're, the number, the type of teams they were getting in changed a lot too. So those are probably the biggest changes and those would be the biggest changes you'd see moving forward, whether there's new proposals in the CCS or something new in the SAC Joaquin, um, that's where the, that's where the changes come now is who gets, who comes from the various different sections that becomes, that become eligible for the games. Yeah, we had a chance, Mark and I saw each other on Friday night at San Rafael High, and we had a chance both to, to talk about how that Pittsburgh and North Coast section scenario may translate in the future to other sections who may adopt it. But something else we also talked about before the game got started was how this current model impacts smaller schools and who gets affected by just a pure competitive equity-based model. We've talked about it on this podcast a little bit in the context of CCS versus NCS and how they made their selections this year. Um, I'm, I'm curious to get your take on how a purely competitive equity-based model impacts smaller schools. And, and the, the uh, example that we were talking about most specifically was a team like Escalon. Yeah, Escalon was in a tough situation. They are a traditional, what I would call, small school. Uh, teams like Escalon in the Sac Joaquin section, Dos Palos in the central section, and there are others. In the northern section, you have Sutter, which is joining the Sac Joaquin section next year. You know, smaller town teams really have a hard time in the competitive equity model because it's not so much in the state level, but it's in their section level when you have a team like Dos Palos playing Bakersfield. I mean, that, that doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> and there's some of that stuff, you know, Milpitas, when they won their state title two years ago, uh, beat Strathmore, which is a huge difference in small school versus large school. And yes, Strathmore was competitive, but that doesn't mean that it was fair and right. Um, so you see the small schools really struggle with the competitive equity model because most of the time they're playing large schools that are frankly, you know, third in their league, but just, it's just not fair. If there was a way they could have a, a small school uh, division that people, the, that schools could apply for, something like that might work um, where they would have a chance against schools that are more to their level. Um, another example is Menlo School. I consider them a small school in the CCS and they had to play in division one. And that, that's not right. Or Half Moon Bay having to play Sarah two years ago. That was silly. It's definitely, it's definitely a depth thing. You know, I mean, you, because you, you know, they, the, the top, the top 12 kids, 12 the top 12 to 16 kids can compete or are good enough to compete at that level probably. But the minute, the minute they have to throw in a substitute for anything, it's just, you know, the roster size yeah. is only 25 and the, on the other sideline, it's, it's 50. So. Yeah. Um, all right, well, let's steer towards this weekend. As we record this, we're roughly 75 hours away from kickoff for the first of the five feature bowl games at Saddleback College in Mission Viejo. And as we stated earlier, you'll be in attendance. So we're curious, which of the five matchups are you most looking forward to seeing? I'm going to break it down even a little further. Um, Folsom's defense against Cathedral Catholic's offense. That's <laughs> going to be really fun. Um, I've seen them both play. 
Um, you probably saw Cathedral Catholic when they played up here. They played terrible that night. They only had, had three turnovers, turned the game completely around, seen Folsom. Um, you know, we know what their defense did against De La Salle. And even the first time against De La Salle, their defense did very well. They shut down the running game. They lost the first time because of special teams mainly. So I think the, the matchup of Folsom's defense against the Cathedral Catholic offense, which just had 740 plus yards in their last game, 435 rushing for Lucky Sutton. And he's been that way for the last few weeks, not just last week in the San Diego Open Division final. He was great. Um, he was great leading into that. Um, he's, a, he's a pretty dynamic running back. So, you know, it'll, Folsom will have their work cut out for it. Um, and that, that's going to be the matchup of, of the weekend is, is Folsom's defense trying to slow down that offense. Uh, Mark's breakdown of uh, Folsom against uh, Cathedral Catholic is actually something that you can go to calhighsports.com this week and find more of because Mark always previews and projects each matchup. I will spin it back to Northern California representation since uh, that's who listens to us. Do you consider any of Northern California's teams heading south to be a favorite this weekend? To be a favorite? Um, no, I don't think any of them are favorites. But I think, and, and first of all, we consider Liberty of Bakersfield, Northern California. <laughs> I've ranted <laughs> and raved about do, this. But I do. Um, but, but, you know, I, I, think, I think Sarah's definitely underdog. I think I think Central Catholic's definitely an underdog against the talent they're going to be going up against. Uh, but, you know, Folsom could definitely win. Um, I think Cathedral Catholic is basically playing at home. Uh, you might not think they are, but it's just basically straight up I-5 and they're there. So it's they should have a nice almost home game type atmosphere, which gives them a little bit of an advantage. Uh, but, you know, certainly Folsom can win based off last week. Um, and, and I think I think Liberty of Bakersfield could possibly win that game. I think Wilcox's running game may give Scripps Ranch some trouble. So, I mean, that, that's a possibility in there, that one as well. And, of course, you know, Sarah's a big underdog in their game. Yeah. So our segment with Coach Edson this week, we asked him just about what it's like to try and uh, put together a game plan to, to go against teams like Modern Day and, and St. John Bosco. And it wasn't fond memories for him. No. <laughs> It's a different um, level. It's just a different level of football. And it's not, it's just those three plus it's those two and Servite this year and Centennial. Those four are just, I think you're just way better than everybody else. And that's no knock on Northern California. They're way better than 99% of the country, those four teams. Yeah. So they're just that good. They've just elevated themselves to the players they have. And the coaching is, is phenomenal, too, at all those places. It's almost professional, you know, the way they, they approach it. And it's hard to beat all those talented guys who are well-coached. So for those who will be watching from home this weekend for, for a lot of these games, outside of modern day, um, which is full of eventual All-State guys, who are some other players from uh, Southern California teams this week that, that we might want to watch for? Um, I think the most intriguing ones might be uh, Trey Edwards is a linebacker at Modern Day Catholic. He's a junior linebacker. He's one of the top juniors in the country as a recruit, ranked on a lot of the lists. Um, he's been a standout since his freshman season there. Um, 
I think Malik Murphy at Sarah Gardena is fun to watch. He's so tall. He's six four, six five, quarterback and run going to Texas. He could be a difference in that game. Um, he can make plays. Uh, you know, this last game they were they Polly had just scored and he threw a 75 yard touchdown pass to put him right back ahead. Um, he he's got a good. Uh, you know, a, a good game, fun to watch. He can run. Um, and then there's an interesting kid at Scripps Ranch down in San Diego who Wilcox is going to go up against. His name is Jax Leatherwood. He's a six foot eight junior quarterback. And he Ooh. did something like 30 touchdowns before he threw a pick. Um, and, you know, it's be interesting to see a kid that tall, six eight, who's been pretty successful. Now, Scripps Ranch hasn't played you know, the elite teams in San Diego, they haven't played, you know, Helix or, or Lincoln or, or Carlsbad or those teams. So it's hard to know how good, you know, he is. So I want to see him and of course see how good he is. And then they've got, um, you know, Wilcox has played some of the better teams. I mean, Wilcox did play Pitt and played him pretty well. So uh, we'll have to see the, how that matchup you know, comes through, but there's some good players at modern day Catholic. Most of them are juniors. And of course, Sarah ha always has, there's a Roderick Pleasant that Sarah was second in the hundred meters. He's got the national sophomore record and the hundred meters from last summer. He's been injured in and out of the lineup. Now I don't know if he's going to play or not. So if he plays and he's a, he's a real, you know, he did, I saw Sarah earlier at the honor bowl down in San Diego and, and he didn't play. He was hurt in that game. So, Roderick Pleasant of Sarah of Sarah Gardena would be a player I hope I get to, to see play. Sounds like a Jaden Marshall kind of guy. Yeah. yeah. That's always been one of my favorite parts of the state experience is getting a chance to lay eyes on some of those guys that you've heard about. And I'll never forget De La Salle playing Crenshaw and the legend of DeAnthony Thomas walking into the building <laughs> and for one half him absolutely proving everything true. And yep. just looking like the best player on the field. And then unfortunately he got hurt and that changed the dynamic of that game. Um, well, bringing it back to Northern California, um, as we go into the final week of the season, we are ruminating and tossing around names for things like coaches of the year and players of the year. But for you who've seen so much football this year, who is currently at the top of the board when it comes to candidates for NorCal player of the year? For Northern California, you know, you, it's basically two guys and you have to ask yourself the question what you're, what you're evaluating it on because Zeke Barry is the best player. Um, he does everything, returns kicks, did stuff on offense, DBs, hit, hits a ton. He's a great player. Um, and he's the best player in Northern California that I've seen. He's the best player probably that you would pick. Now, however, um, the running back at St. Francis had a phenomenal season. <laughs> Viliami uh, was, was outstanding. I mean, even in the game they lost, it, I mean, he got shut down to what, 100 something yards. So he just had such a record breaking season at St. Francis, and they beat De La Salle when they played him. So, I mean, you're basically choosing between those two guys. If you just want to pick someone who excelled at one position, historically great. From the competition he faced, it's 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 probably Biliami. If it's um, just the best player, period, it's Zeke. So it, it's those are the two, and that's how you break it down. You just have to 
decide what your, you know, yeah. what, what the most important part of your criteria is, whether it's just who's the best player, the most exceptional athlete, or and who, who had more historically a great season. So to kind of break it down a little bit and see, you know, and pick one of the two, because those are the two, so. I'm not looking forward to that argument. Yeah, <laughs> I'd, I'd be okay starting my team with either of those guys. Either of those guys, for sure. That's what it boils down to. Though. <laughs> I'd, I'd be okay, for the record, starting my team with Jaden Marshall, too. Well, Jaden Marshall's a great player. You know, he can do it all as well. But they didn't do as well as a team. And I think he's a phenomenal athlete. And he may do, you know, equally well with Zeke Barry in terms of the next level. We'll just have to see. But um, I think, you know, they needed to win another key, another game, maybe, game or two maybe. And there were a couple games he, he didn't, you know, he was he's a great player. There were a couple of games maybe he didn't do as well as he could have. Uh, against some of those teams but I, I think that those are the two for sure is Zeke and Billy Hong. those are the guys well Ben and I are probably going to stay in Northern California this year and and cover some of these smaller bowls I'm going to try and see Vanden mm-hmm. uh, and I think uh, Ben's going to go see Sam Sam Marin we'll do that and we'll be, keep our eyes on the TV and we'll be in touch I'm sure I'm sure you'll let us know everything everything important that happens down there <laughs> We'll do our best. Yes, it'll be fun. <laughs> we appreciate you taking the time, Mark. Thanks so much, man. All right, Chase. All right, Ben. Take care. Thanks, Bye. Mark. See right. you. Safe travels. Thanks. And now we're going to take a quick time out for a quick message from Sports Stars Magazine's podcast partner, the California Army National Guard. We understand an upside-down world, but they're writing us off before we get to the starting line. A stalled generation? Who do you think is going to fix all this? We will, because our future is the future. The next greatest generation is now. Visit NationalGuard.com to find out more. And now, back to the show. Well, we want to thank Mark Tennis again for taking some time in one of his busiest weeks of the year. I always feel better informed after I've talked to him, and I was really happy to see him out at San Rafael High last Friday. For those who didn't follow him through the weekend on Twitter, he actually stayed in the area overnight so he could go see University Prep play Sacred Heart Prep, a man after the same types of things that we are, getting a chance to see everybody, not just the big boys. So some small school love before he heads south uh, to see those big boys this week. Uh, that said, we move from Mark's analysis to the analysis of the third member of our team, Coach Terry Edson. Coach Edson was understandably not in the best of moods, given what happened to his Spartans last week. But he also has a perspective on the state bowl system and experience that uh, few have with the system. So we asked him about all that before asking him to make some picks for the final time this year. <laughs> Let's listen in to what he had to say. Well, there is undoubtedly little joy among the football crowd on his campus this week, but our favorite football mind will persevere and join us this week. And that's Coach Terry Edson. Coach, welcome back. What's up, boys? Let's get through the bad part first, and uh, we'll just start with uh, what was kind of your takeaway from uh, from Folsom's 28-27 win over the Spartans at Owen Owens on Friday night. Well, you know, we talked about the week before about how hard it is to beat a good team twice um, in the same year, and, um, you know, a lot of things I talked about came to fruition, I thought, in the game, one of them being that you know, we're not, I told you we're probably not going to get a you're not going to get a kick return or a punt block, and you know we did not. They they did a uh, 
a good job on their special teams, keeping us neutralized, which was, um, you know, smart. You know, we didn't score a lot of points against them offensively the first time around. And, you know, the same thing ha- kind of happened again in this game. They have they had a pretty stout defense. And if you're going to, you know, beat the Spartans, one thing that's always been um, the magic elixir is being able to play defense and, and keep their offense from on those long drives. So they, they did a great job with that. You know, the game started 14 to nothing. At that point, a lot of teams, you know, could have uh, gotten their heads down or said, oh, no, you know, here we go again, especially on our home field. But um, they hung in there, you know, and they came back. You know, you knew we knew they had a good quarterback. You know, you knew they could sling the ball. And every time you go to go against a team that can throw a football, uh, they're always in a game. You know, they're just you're never out of a game. They're always in the game. And uh, Spartans did a good job of fighting back. You know, getting that fumble for the touchdown to tie it up, and then when when Folsom scored, I thought like, uh, you know, to make it uh, 28-21, I was like, okay, you know, our offense was sputtering and it just didn't look good. And then, you know, the Spartans, you know, rallied big time. Was it like four plays? Yeah, scored, you know, and uh, went for two and uh, it just didn't work out, but uh, my hats off to Folsom. You know, they, I think they, they've been denied by the Spartans for a lot of years. And I just think finally, you know, that you just, it's going to be hard to keep a good program down. And they, and they finally rose to the occasion and I give them all the credit in the world for that. And, you know, if Spartans uh, turn the ball over, it, it's going to happen. Turnovers happen, but, in big games, you got to try to eliminate the turnovers. And the other thing um, that I, I talked to us about too was that, you know, we, you do something defensively against a team and it works. It's the double edged sword because number one, you don't want to coach yourself and, and do something like, okay, it worked last time, but we're not going to do that this time. The double-edged sword is the team saw something different last time, and now they're going to make their adjustments, right? So there is an advantage to doing that. I know, I know, as a coach, you always kind of wrestle with it. You're going to have a few wrinkles, but it's hard to go against something that worked. Uh, Like you know, when we played Centennial, all those state games, I mean, we refined our defense, but we we basically ran the same defense against them every single year, you know. And we, we even called it Husky. I mean, we named a defense after them, you know, that we used because we, you know, ran against triple, you know, three and one, which they ran. It was a defense we specifically, but every other team, they ran three and one. We called it Husky. So, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I, I've always kind of believed in that philosophy. And we kind of, you know, they made their adjustments. And, and you know, we went back to the, you know, we started three-man line, went back to the four-man line. But when quarterback gets hot like that uh it's tough to stop we didn't you know we got sacks last game we didn't get i, I don't know did we get any sacks this game like two at any sacks it was yeah they had like six in the first game and two i think on this last one their line stepped up you know it's um and that happens you know i think everybody like you know it's football everyone thought georgia was going to wreak havoc on alabama's offensive line and, you know, Bryce Young would be running for his life. And that didn't happen either. So, you know, I remember 2004, 
we had a season where, you know, we had three losses and that kind of spurred um, a new generation of commitment and from the coaches and the players. And I, I really believe Spartans are going to use this as a good teaching tool and a, a moment to be the Phoenix and rise from the eye, uh, next year. So I am really interested to see how the Spartans respond to this year like this, because um Bottom line is in my in my 40 years, I can't remember the Spartans losing their final game at Owen Owens Field. So it was the first. It was the first playoff loss at Owen Owens Field. There you have it. I'm uh you would while you two got a chance to watch it firsthand, I, I read the reports after the game and talked to Chase about it. And I'm curious to pick your brain about kind of what we've always observed as something that De La Salle has um has done through the years and that's go for two at the end of a game that is that something that coach Allenbaugh picked up from coach Latticer is that something that you guys believe in or is it purely situational uh I, I think it's a little bit of both to be honest with you uh coach lad always believe you know he always wanted to to go for two you know it it shows faith in your team but at the same point same time situation is probably going to have something to do with that as well. So your memory and how things are going in the game. I, I don't think coach Allenbo liked the direction defensively things were headed for us. You know, we, we don't throw it as well as Folsom. So, and the running game was having some issues all night long. So with the last few drives and the way things were going defensively, I think he kind of wanted to put an end to it and felt like his best chance was, from the three for the win. And uh, it, it's hard to argue with that strategy when you're on the field and you, you kind of get a feel for, for what's going on and, and how things are going. So a lot of it has to do with the team you have and your strengths in an overtime situation, right? I mean, what, what do you think you have and what do you think your advantage, disadvantage is? And I think if you have a high powered offense and it's been pretty nip and tuck and defensively you're holding your own. I think you definitely kick it and take your chances in overtime. But I think the way the situation was going that night and the way thing and the, just the way the feel of the game, I, I feel like you felt like it was, that was the time to go for it. So let's transition from uh, the Dallas out game to the marquee matchup this week. Um, Sarah of San Mateo with another Spartan in tow heading South to take on modern day. <laughs> I, I, I'm curious, have you talked to Patrick at all as he's prepping for this big game? And, and uh, what are um, they going to see as they hope to shock the world? Yeah. Um, okay. So let's talk about the positives and the negatives here. Okay. So to play the modern day and the Boscos of the world, step one. Uh, you have to be able to play good defense. And I, I think Patrick has been playing pretty good defense all year long. Um, the problem is he has not faced a team like modern day. And uh, I think, you know, it's, I remember when I was defensive coordinator, we, we had to make a choice, you know, what you're not going to stop everything. You just can't physically do it unless you have all these D one guys across the field to match up with their D one guys. So, you know, what do you want to stop? You want to stop the run? You want to stop the pass? Yeah, I remember against Bosco, you know, when they had Real Mitchell at quarterback, we said, you know, they, they run the ball so well and he runs the ball so well. 
uh, we're going to, we have to stop the run and make them throw it. So, and we pretty much stopped their run. We just stopped them like on three, fourth down plays. And he was 19 for 21 in the first half for like 260 yards. I'm like, oh, well, we wanted to stop the run. We stopped the run. There you have it. Uh, let's see if he could throw it. Well, he could throw it. So that, that's the way it goes. Whatever Patrick feels, you know, they feel they have to do. They're going to have to do that. And that's the tough matchup. If you're going to be able to stop the run, you got to be able to play man. And if you can't play man, um, I think that's what they did against St. Francis that stopped their run. They decided to go man to man and they were successful in doing that. So you, if to beat modern day in the Boscos with these great quarterbacks and running games, you got to be able to play man. So if he can do that, he's going to be in this game. Second of all, um, to play these teams, you have to have a, a I think you have, you definitely got to have a D1 trigger behind center. And Patrick does have a, a D1 trigger behind center. I think Hassan, Hassan, that's his first name, right? The receiver that got hurt. Yeah, uh, yeah Mahasan, right. Yeah. Well, how you said? Uh, Hassan Mahasan. Yeah, Hassan, yeah. So missing him, that's where it's really going to hurt in a big game like this because you need a big time player keep the sticks moving someone you can throw to in the clutch and all that so he's gonna have to get a little lucky to hopefully no one you know else gets hurt during the game his best bet is keep the ball keep modern day off the field that's his best chance uh we'll see we'll know early in the game if he's going to be able to do that but he's got it like i said he's got a quarterback that can do some things so that's gonna that's a huge help for him in this game so and then if you keep it close enough towards the end, then maybe you get a turnover, get a break, and get them panicked a little bit and see what happens. But the first quarter is critical in these games. Well, it's uh, that's the main attraction. And as we transition into picks for this week, we will compliment you on a second straight week of going two and one, your revival at the right time of year. You're you're just like all the teams we've seen you be a part of. At the right time of year, you are bringing it. You're ready to play. Yeah, okay. Let's not get carried away here, okay? Even a blind squirrel gets an acorn once in a while, okay? <laughs> well, we're going to we're gonna start you off with a team that I actually got to see last week and chase the scene earlier this year. McClymans of Oakland is hosting Birmingham of Van Nuys. Uh, it will be at the Mac House in West Oakland this weekend on Saturday night. Um, great atmosphere last Saturday for the Warriors as they took down Camp Lindo. So, so many athletes on that field from a climate. It's just a very impressive team. Uh, Birmingham started the year 0-5, but they've won nine in a row, and five of those wins have been shutouts. So uh, Birmingham coming north to take on the Warriors for a state title. Who you got? Oh, yeah, I'm going McClyman's all the way. Like you said, I think this is the year – McClyman's, um, they're battle-tested. Um, they're at home. That's always a, a huge advantage. Just gonna, I'm sure a lot of uh, fans, OAL fans, will be out there rooting on McClyman's. Um, I've got to stay NorCal in this one. There's no doubt about it. I think this is McClyman's year. All right. Now, bear with me as I, as I set this up for you. If you actually sit through our picks each week and don't turn it off after you listen to your own segment, you've undoubtedly heard us pump up Central Catholic star running back Aiden Ponyboy Taylor. Now, it would seem to us that a team sporting a star with the name Ponyboy 
would be ripe for your support. So the Raiders take their 13-1 record and Vaughn and running attack into a 4 p.m. game Friday against the other modern day, modern day of Chula Vista. They're 12-0. They're the San Diego uh, section D3 champion. And Central Catholic was a D3 champion in their in their section. Modern day is coming off a 24-21 win over a well-known Helix program that's been in bowls before. So right. it's a moment of truth time. Are you bundle are you bundling Pony Boy and your trifecta or casting him aside for the Crusaders uh, of San Diego? What was the what that's uh from the outsiders, right? What was that girl's what was yes, that? very good? Is that in? Is that in? Look yeah, at you and your, like and your literature college. When, when she wrote that book, right? Yeah. Um, Central Catholic. I, uh, this is a tough one because a good Southern California team is hard to pick against. And where's the game again? It, they're part of the uh, Saddleback College games. So they play They play the first game in Saddleback College on Friday. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, but Central Catholic's battle-tested in state games. You know, They so. are. That works for him. So um, I, I love Central Catholic's playing style. I, I love their coach. This is a, a, a tough one um, to pick because I, I haven't seen the other um, team play, but I have seen Helix play uh, numerous times. But um, Helix got this year, though, what was the score of that Helix game again? I'm, I'm splitting. Uh, modern day one, 24 21. Right. And Helix played uh, Cathedral Catholic earlier this year. So I got to see them. So I know that team is, you know, like I said, has a great record and all that. But this, I think, it was kind of a down year for Helix from what I saw on film. So I'm sticking with Central Catholic in there. And the fact that historically they've done pretty well in this game. So I'm sticking with Central Catholic. Fantastic. I knew he wouldn't turn his back on Pony Boy. <laughs> Love the legend of Pony Boy. <laughs> we'll wrap it up with the uh, the main attraction on Friday night. It at Saddleback College, two teams that you should know everything about: Folsom and Cathedral Catholic. Will you uh, roll with the your vanquishers, or will you roll with Cathedral Catholic? Oh, there's going to be a lot of points on the board on this game. I can tell yes. you that right now. Uh, they scored 71 in their final. It was 71 <laughs> to 62. That's right. Lucky Sutton, right? Was That's that right. Yeah, Seven touchdowns. So, um, I can tell you, and watching both teams live on our field, Cathedral Catholic, I was like, Oh my goodness. These guys got a lot of good looking guys out there on the field. And, um, Offensively, like I said, there. This is going to be a game. This is one where I, you know, you can honestly say it's um, this turnovers are going to make a huge difference because both teams are going to have trouble stopping each other, right? So it's who gets the right stop or the turnover. I mean, this is kind of like the old who has the ball last could win this game. Um, but I, I'm going to say this much. And I've watched both teams, and I, I think it's going to be difficult for Folsom to stop Cathedral Catholic, but I think it's going to be more difficult for, for Cathedral Catholic to stop Folsom. So I just think Folsom just gets enough number stops. Remember that game? Um, 
we played Centennial where nobody, when we had, I think, Custer. Yes. And mm-hmm. they both ran for like 200 yards and I couldn't stop them. And they it was like 63 to 40 something, right? Yeah, something it was going years. back and forth. And we got a couple picks in the second half and won the game by 14 points. So <laughs> I'm just thinking Folsom's defense is good enough to get enough stops in the second half to lead Folsom to victory. But I, I, I think the over-under, I'm putting the over-under at 76, right? So <laughs> that might be, be – it's pretty high for a game, but uh, I'm putting it at 76. Cathedral almost got there on its own last week. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. But Folsom's defense is, is – I like Folsom's defense. I think they've been gelling at the right time. Their offensive line, they got, they got some D1 guys in that old line. So uh, that quarterback was sneaky good running the football too. So – I just think Folsom's defense is good enough to keep them, you know, get those couple stops. It's going to take them to win the game. Well, it's one more week, one more week of games, and we'll be back and wrap it all up next week. Okay. All right. Sounds good, Coach. We'll see you next week. I'll talk to you guys. All right. Bye. See you. All right. A special thanks to Coach Edson for all his visits this season. He's been a blast to have around. And we can't wait to share his many outtakes and digressions in our bonus behind the scenes episode in the coming weeks. But now we move to our final pick segment of the year. We've got 14 games this week, and we're each going to try and pick three NorCal winners. We have to pick at least one of the five games down south, and we have to make at least one a lock per usual. And I, Ben, will let you lead us off. All right. Well, the rules are simple. We have to take one game at Saddleback, and, and we we ended up settling on having to pick uh, NorCal winners. Uh, the previous discussion we had was that uh, you couldn't make a lock um, the modern day game, and, and I I would have stayed completely away from that game anyway because I think we all know who we'd pick. And to be honest, I hope Coach Walsh and the Padres go down there and shock the world. I work in NorCal, all right. The hell with it. Shock the world, Coach Walsh. I can guarantee you who who our guest would be next week if that happens. <laughs> I hope, it, and if that happens, he will bring the most Braveheart-esque thunder and lightning. I mean, it will be inspirational for the children. You will want you will want to tune in because that will be a man possessed with good reason. Now, call me crazy, but I'm going to go with a feel-good pick here for my first pick, and I'm going to go to Saddleback first. I will be choosing the Division 2A game between Wilcox of Santa Clara and Scripps Ranch of San Diego. We heard Mark Tennis tell us that Scripps Ranch is the unknown team because they didn't play any of the real heavyweights in the San Diego section. The Falcons are 12-1, and and a win over Valencia last week punched their ticket to this game. Mark mentioned Jack's Leatherwood, and the 6'6 quarterback listed on Max Preps 6'6 has thrown 41 touchdowns to only two interceptions this year. Props, Jacks. Uh, Certainly impressive. Now, you all know that I like to throw in the randomness. So for all you golf fans out there, Scripps Ranch is the alma mater for your current Olympic gold medalist in men's golf, one Xander Shoffley. But for all that good stuff that we can say about Scripps Ranch, I feel like there might not be a hotter team heading south than Wilcox. You've already told us about last week's win over Manteca, a Manteca team that we both like very much. Luther Glenn is the man with the plan on the ground. 
We've established that. And Paul Rose's squad is riding a nine-game win streak. It's the first game on Saturday. And I think it's Northern California's best shot at a win down south. The HAL 9000, Dot Matrix, Epson Stylus, Texas Instruments, Sony Walkman, AOL Instant Messenger, Tom is my only friend on MySpace, Trash 80, Roomba Computer, thinks Scripps Ranch wins by three, and I couldn't pass up an opportunity to spar with the computer one more time. Give me the Chargers to bring a state bowl title back to Santa Clara. I'm glad we got the prognostication machine name in one last time. (laughs) This year, that was was well done. I'll make it like forty pieces of arcane <laughs> technology next week. Trust me, we'll go big. I think that's a great pick, Wilcox. Wilcox is just a really cool dynamic. These kids have been playing together for um, for several years, and a lot of them were eighth graders and freshmen uh, in twenty eighteen when Wilcox made it to. Uh, I want to say it was a. 3A or a 3AA bowl, they got to host at Wilcox High. They hosted a SoCal team and they won that. And a lot of those kids were in the stands and they were watching it. And it inspired them to, to make their run this year when they finally got their shot after COVID. So I hope you're right, man. It'd be a really good story for, for Wilcox to win down on the big stage. So for me, I will start with my saddleback pick as well. I really want to take Folsom, but I think the possibility of an emotional letdown after clearing that De La Salle hurdle is very real. And I'm worried about a flat start from the Bulldogs. So I'm betting Pony Boy one last time. Give the legend. Central- <laughs> Give me Central Catholic and Aiden Pony Boy Taylor to outlast modern day of Chula Vista in the 4 p.m. opener on Friday afternoon. The Raiders have been remarkably consistent this season and have proven they can win in any type of game. As Coach Jetson also pointed out, Central Catholic has pedigree. They have been to these games several times. They've won them many times. It's the same coach from all the previous times. It's Roger Canepa. He has a great staff. He's won with sophomore quarterbacks before. He can win with a sophomore quarterback. He's got two great running backs. Their program has been there. They'll be prepared. I'm taking the Raiders. Recently named uh, Valley Oak League MVP. Aiden Ponyboy Taylor. Yes. Do you want me to start round two or do you want to just go back and forth? We'll go back and forth. All right, you go. Uh, Moving away from Saddleback, we find a few easier games in my estimation. And I'm going to start in the same location that you might find yourself this weekend. Let's take a trip to Fairfield for the Division 3A Bowl between Vanden of Fairfield and Aquinas of San Bernardino. I told you in this spot last week that I was perhaps picking with my heart over my head because I'd seen Windsor and I didn't know much about Vanden. Well, the Vikings made sure I rude the day. (laughs) I rude the day I crossed them, Trebek. Because Trey Dimes and the boys were on point and Vanden hung 56 on Windsor. Wikipedia is actually surprisingly sparse when it comes to info on the mighty Vikings. So I don't have much in the way of funny commentary here. Weird, I know. (laughs) So let's move on to Aquinas, who comes north from San Bernardino with a 10 and 5 record. Here I go with another group of Falcons, and they're riding a seven game win streak of their own into battle this weekend. Their leading rusher, Jojo Solis, is a freshman, and quarterback Dre Robles is a junior. Here again, I don't have a ton of fun info to impart. So, in the spirit of being boring, I'm actually going to agree with the computer here since they have Vanden by four. 
give me the Vikings and feel free to accuse me of jumping on the bandwagon late. So this was actually the same Aquinas team that played Clayton Valley in the two double-A bowl in 2019, the last time we had staples, and Clayton Valley beat them 10 to 7. So they will be motivated, certainly if there are any leftover kids from that 2019 team. But I'm with you. I think Vanden is definitely on a roll right now, and it's hard to pick against them, especially when they get to host on their home field. You want a lock for this week? It ain't going to be 10-7. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, this is a nice dovetail because I am going to spend some time guessing on, uh, on the game that I think you might be at. So I will keep the horse betting theme going uh, with this next pick and hopefully make coach Edson proud in the process, assuming he doesn't actually turn it off after his segment for my final lock of the season. Give me the Mustangs of Sam Marin, Justin Gwynn and company all but breeze past a very good center team. And this week they draw independent tie at Bakersfield, a team that's won nine straight after an 0 six start, but has faced just one 10 win team all season, which is Bakersfield Christian and lost 42 to 28. Meanwhile, San Marin's last two opponents were both 10-win teams, and the Mustangs won those games by a combined 71-7. to San Marin is rolling, Justin Gwynn is rolling, and they will be your 5AA champion, and I will lock them in. All right. Well, let's wrap this thing up with a team that I saw last weekend. 13-1 and Marin Catholic gets one more Saturday afternoon in the Marin County Sun, when it, and I hope there's sun, when it hosts Central Valley Christian of Visalia in the Division Four AA Bowl game. <laughs> Depending on who you believe, the Cavaliers are coming to Kenfield with either an 11-4 record, as reported by CalPreps and MaxPreps, or a 9-6 mark, as reported by the CIF. Either way, they've had a good year. They got here thanks to a 21-9 win over Serrano of Phelan last week. I think I said that right. And Max Backer is the signal caller. He's got 2,400 yards and 30 touchdowns this year. Now, the Cavs have also thrown 14 interceptions this year. And based on what I saw last week from Marin Catholic's defense, that's an issue. The Wildcats grabbed a couple picks last week, and I thought did a nice job against a pretty good Escalon offense. To me, this comes down to my belief that Michael Ingracia could be the best player on the field Mazi Moed is one of the NCS's top coaches, and this game is in Kentfield. Quick side note, props to the CIF for not forcing teams outside of their actual venues for this weekend. Marin Catholic gets to play at home on Saturday afternoon, which is what they normally do. McClymans gets to play at home, which is what they normally do, so no moving it across town to Laney College. Now, I do have a famous alum to throw at you, for Central Valley Christian, former Oakland Athletics catcher and fan favorite, Stephen Vogt, attended oh. Central Valley Christian. We believe in Stephen Vogt. We believe in Stephen Vogt. We love Stephen Vogt, but not enough to go against the home team here. Marin <laughs> Catholic adds to a storied history with a bowl victory. Wouldn't that be cool? MCAL taking home two titles. That'd be sweet. Yep. Now, I'll wrap mine up. Now, having picked a Sac Joaquin and a North Coast Section Squad, let me put a Central Coast team on my card. 
It will be party times and excellence at Kizar Stadium this Saturday night when the Fighting Irish wrap up the 4A title by defeating Northview Covina. The Irish have a super good vibe going right now and consider me on the bus. Hardened in arguably the toughest league in NorCal and showing out with four straight dominant postseason wins, they're on their home turf and they won't flinch. So luck of the Irish this, this Saturday night at Kizar. Let's, uh, let's give a shout out to Paul Rosa for scheduling the way he did for Wilcox. And let's give a shout out to Sacred Heart Cathedral for scheduling the way they did. <laughs> yeah. Even if most of it was already set because <laughs> they play the West Catholic athletically. <laughs> but they're ready. They're yes, ready they to make it work. All right. Well, we'll, we'll wrap this thing up and get ready to watch some actual football for the last time in this year. We'd like to once again thank the esteemed Mark Tennis for coming aboard this week. And our deepest thanks, as always, to Coach Edson for continuing to answer our text when we ask for his recording availability. Seven Friday Night is available on several platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. If you listen to shows on one of those platforms, search for the number seven Friday Night, and please rate and subscribe. We build seven Friday night using Anchor. You can leave a voice message for us by visiting anchor.fm slash the number seven Friday night. Each of our episodes also get their own dedicated page on Sports Stars Magazine's web home, sportsstarsmag.com. You can stream the episode there, find links to the various other platforms, and check out a variety of bonus items that we tend to include each week. This week, we'll most certainly include a still of Ben wearing the Viking horns. Also, be sure to follow the magazine on Twitter at at SportsStarsMag and our new podcast Twitter home of at SportsStarsPods. If you want to follow Ben or myself on Twitter, you'll find us tagged on either of those accounts quite often. Design and photography for our cover art was by yours truly. Our theme music was produced by Dustin Phillips, who performs in multiple bands in the Sacramento area. Check out his killer cover band, Popular Demand, by visiting Sacramento Cover Band. Com. And there you have it. All right, man. What are your thoughts? There's just no other way to spin this thing. It is our last chance to watch high school football this year and be able to talk about it next week. So I'll get all weepy next week when we put this <laughs> podcast to bed for the holidays. But in the meantime, I am channeling the horns. I'm doing what the horns would want us to do. I am being thankful that we get to watch one more week of football. As we've mentioned, I will likely take the trip to Novato to see a San Marin team that's been doing incredible things all year long, while you will head to Fairfield to see what kind of puns you can come up with while using Trey Dimes' name. Uh, our DVRs are going to get a workout in our respective homes this weekend, so it'll be a weekend full of football, and we wouldn't want it any other way. Final thoughts from you? I am fired up. I'm looking forward to seeing Vanden, maybe it's a calling maybe the viking horns called to me and said oh yes oh. <laughs> i didn't even think about that you should take them this weekend i'll, I'll loan <laughs> them to you would you dare show up at Vanden high school wearing viking horns what if i brought them and then if they won see if they wanted to wear them with the with the trophy oh my god you get trade dimes to wear the horns the possibilities are endless i know i'll have to think about that all right it's gonna be good We've built up 16 weeks of storylines and now we get to see them play out with a lot of these teams and it's going to be fun. And I'm looking forward to it. How many podcasts is this for us at this point? This is episode number 20. Oh, 
odds makers take a beating. Take that, Vegas. <laughs> you didn't believe in us, but here we are. You can't get rid of us. And if we pulled in one new listener a week, our audience is up to 20. So <laughs> Yes, let's go. Shout out. Actually, I did find a new listener this week. Shout out former Concord High standout and coach Brock Galvin. Thanks for listening, Brock. All right. Well, we will wrap this thing up for, for good and get ready to watch some state bowl games. And we will be back next week to break it all down with some state champions. We'll see you next Wednesday. It's the final countdown. Do-do-do-do-do.